it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 311. Today, we are going to talk about two different topics. So first, we're going to talk about maybe some practical ideas to generate passive income. And then we're also going to talk about maybe some of our top money mistakes so you can hopefully learn from our boo-boos. So let's dive in and talk about the good stuff first. Let's talk about some practical ideas or passive income. Like maybe first, let's define what we think passive income really is. Yeah, it could be a loaded question, couldn't it? Yes. <laughs> My idea of passive income is planting a seed and letting it grow. Maybe that means you got to water it every once in a while. That could mean you definitely got to think about where you planted it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a lot of ideas online about generating passive income that's not really passive. And I don't agree with that philosophy. Mm-hmm. What, what's your kind of opinion on passive income? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I think a lot of the time the internet hypes up passive income as this amazing, awesome idea, but the ideas that they roll out to air quote generate passive income are far from passive. And so I think it's probably mislabeled. I would probably call those more like side hustles or other jobs or hobbies that you do to create income, I wouldn't consider them passive income. Passive income to me means that, like you said, you plant a seed and then you watch and let it grow without a lot of interference or effort from us or me. And so that's when I think of passive income, that's what I think of. So you're not delivering pizzas for passive income? (laughs) I am not. No, No, to me, that is not passive. That means I have to get in my car. I have to go to the pizza place, pick it up and take it to somebody. And that's time spent. It may not be hard work in the sense that I'm not, you know, digging a hole in the ground, but, you know, I'm not sitting in front of my TV watching a baseball game either. So 
that to me is more passive than having to get in my car and go to somebody's house and drop off three pizzas. Yeah, I guess there's like a million ways we could go with this. Would you consider writing a book passive income? Mm, yes and no. I mean, the writing of the book is not going to be passive by any stretch. But if you have a successful book and it does well for you, then you're still going to have to do some work after it's released, promoting it and maintaining it and making sure that distribution happens and those kinds of things. Yeah, you could have passive income if you write a book like The Da Vinci Code from Dan Brown. You could be, you know, if you write the next one and you never write another thing, that could obviously make you a lot of money for a long period of time. But A, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. Number two, there's still a lot of work you got to do to write the book and promote the book and get it published and go on tour to promote the book. And it's far, far from passive, at least at the beginning. There's really only one way that I can think of that's really passive and that's investing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, ask an investor what his opinion is and he'll give you that answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah, even certain types of investing are more active than passive. Mm-hmm. But that is the beauty of investing, especially if you take like a, a super passive approach, like just buying index funds where you're just buying the entire stock market and just hitching a ride to the economy and letting the rest fall where it may. Mm-hmm. That's a very passive, very safe, over the long term, very safe way to generate income. And oh, by the way, you know, I think we forget sometimes these stock market indexes will pay you dividends. You know, you buy an ETF that has the market, you get these dividends. That's income. I know Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like a lot, but that income that if you reinvest it and let it grow on its own and compound, it starts to snowball. That can become significant amount of income. And I mean that's how Warren Buffett does it now. He's snowballing his dividends that he's been snowballing since he was like 11, however long that's been, 70 years, 80 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think investing is, you know, like you said, we're investors, so we think investing is, is the greatest thing. But it can be an amazing way to passively invest your money without having to put a lot of work into it. If you want to buy individual companies, then that's going to require more work. But if you invest in your 401k or you invest in index funds, ETFs, those can be far less work on your end to maintain them, to find new options. And you can literally just put money in those accounts for many, many years and just let them just keep compounding and let them do all the work. And like Andrew said, they generate dividends, which you can choose to reinvest, which will help compound the returns even faster. Or if you want, you could take them as cash and use it to go buy pizza every week. There's a lot of ways to slice that. I guess the one thing that I want to caution people on is a lot of people, I see a lot on the internet, and this is what I want to discourage people from. People feel like that real estate investing is perfect passive income. And it can depend on how you set it up. And it can be more passive than not. But we had Tony and Ashley from the Real Estate Rookie podcast not too long ago. And what they were talking about and the way they were talking about investing in real estate was far from passive. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's a lot of effort and a lot of time consumed to do it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying expectation-wise, understand that it's not just all fun and roses. And you just, hey, I bought a property. This is going to be easy. People are going to rent it and I'm never going to have problems. And you're never going to get a call at three o'clock in the morning when your refrigerator breaks, or you're never going to get a call on a Saturday afternoon and the water water main has broken and you can't watch your football game. So understand that going into it, that there is going to be effort that's going to be need to, to be put out for those kinds of investments, or you're going to have to spend a lot of money for other people to do that work for you. 
And so there's trade-offs along with that. And you have to understand that. I was at a conference not too long ago and somebody was talking about the ups and downs, mostly downs, that they were laying of owning, I think it was seven Airbnbs and all the things that they had to go through. It was, I mean, it was hilarious presentation, but I went away from it thinking, wow, that's a lot of work. And I would never, ever want to do that. And that's just the way I'm built. But I know that real estate is always kind of offered as this great passive income potential. And I just want people to go into it with their eyes wide open. Go back and listen to our episode with Tony and Ashley. You'll get a good sense of what we're talking about. Yep. Would you say there's good ways to accelerate your passive income? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the best way to accelerate it is to earn more money that I can think of. Yeah. Uh, And there are several ways you can go about doing that. One is you can try to negotiate a higher salary. You can also look for ways to maybe find a new job. And maybe you feel like you're underpaid or underappreciated at your current position. And you could find another position in the same field that maybe pays better. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Uh, That could be an option. You could also look at schooling and improving your skills or your resume, giving you more options for either the place you work or other opportunities that could pay you more. And you could also look at 
side hustles, you know, creating money on the side, whether it's something you want to build yourself, like you love to do water paintings and you can figure out a way to sell them. That would be fantastic because that's a hobby you love. And then you could sell them on side and make some money or you could sell pizzas. You could go deliver pizzas if you want. Uber Eats, I think, is available pretty much anywhere and that would be an option as well. Do you have a long-term mindset searching for safe compounders? So am I. And I'm investing my entire life savings with the picks from valuespotlight.com. This is too practical, man. (laughs) Well, it's far from sexy, but it is... (laughs) You know, it's a way, and just because you do something like that, let's say you decide to do Uber Eats, for example, you don't have to do it forever. You could do it for a couple of years, or you could just do it off only in the summers or only in the winters when there's nothing to do in the summers if you live in the Midwest. And you could do those kinds of things for, for short bursts of time to earn some extra money that you could put in the stock market, for example. And that money would compound because you've put extra money in the market and that would help accelerate your returns that way. I'd like to take this moment to jump on the soapbox for a second. I know jump away. Carly, thank you. Carly Munger has talked about the first hundred thousands, the hardest. I think he says something like that. Yep. And it's an interesting concept and maybe it's hard to grasp when you're first starting out, especially if you feel like, Man, I'm doing the side hustle, making like a hundred bucks. Like, what's what, what am I What's doing here? Yeah, but you know, you think about average returns in the stock market about ten percent. Again, if you do no work, you just put it in an index fund over, let's say, ten, twenty, thirty years, you might get around ten percent return. So, ten percent of my hundred bucks—that doesn't sound like much anything to get excited about. We're talking about ten dollars, but when you understand that. The amount of effort you take to make 10% on $100 is the same amount of effort you would make to make 10% on $100,000 or a million dollars. Now we're talking about big numbers, $10,000, $100,000. And so it's a really valuable skill if if you can accumulate the money to have that power working for you. But everybody has to start at zero outside of being lucky and being born into something. Everybody else has to start at zero. And so... Yeah, it is hard and it is a grind to get to 100000 But part of investing is learning to live without the money that you're investing. Because you're that's if you're doing it correctly, you're supposed to not touch the money that you're investing. And so it's the same life you're living, but the numbers just start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the same amount of effort on your part. And there's no perfect, sweet, you know, silver bullet to this whole solution. But that is a very nice attractive feature of investing in the stock market and doing it passively is you once you get to the numbers it becomes a lot easier i guess mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a great illustration and a great idea that i think having a goal and then setting out figuring out ways to get to that goal once you get to that goal then you can start maybe easing off on some of those things and When you're younger, you have a lot higher energy level and a lot more motivation and it can be easier to do those things. And I think one thing that we've talked about this before and I'll mention it again, when you think about something like a side hustle or a second job or something else that you can you do to earn extra money, try not to think of it as I have to be a big winner in this. I I have to hit it big with this. You don't. You can earn a couple hundred bucks a week doing Uber Eats or working at a restaurant waiting tables on Friday and Saturday nights. And those kinds of things will add up over a long period of time. If you think about that, 
let's say that you make $200 a week as an extra job. That's $800 a month. And you look at that over the course of a year, that's almost $10,000 that you can save just by doing that. And that may not sound like, oh gosh, you know, $10,000, but in 10 years, that's $100,000. So that's without investing it or doing anything with it. When you put it into that kind of perspective, then it can start to go, oh my gosh, you know, that could be bigger numbers. And if you're in a position where you can, like I said, renegotiate your salary or find a job, another job that pays you more, that you can get that extra $200 a month just from that and then take that savings and use it that way, you know, problem solved. I mean, so there's a lot of ways to go about doing it. And I don't know that there's quick, rich, <laughs> easy for me to say, way to get to $100,000 overnight. It's not going to happen. It's You're going to have to work for it. And like Charlie said, it's, it's going to be hard. But it's going to be worth it. And then once you get there, then you can ease off and do other things. And you may find something you really love to do other than what your job is. And you know that would be an, an amazing situation as well. So there's lots of upsides to all this. I love that mentality. Yeah, me too. All right. So let's talk about our top money mistakes and what we learned from them. I'm going to let you take first, sir. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Put me in the hot seat. Yep. One that just kind of pops to mind that I laugh at now, but looking back, probably wasn't the smartest thing was when I was a freshman in college. No, I I guess I was a sophomore. I was getting some student loan aid. I don't even know if what I did was legal. Statue of limitations. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) That's embarrassing. Well, okay. When I was young and dumb... I had some extra financial aid money and I obviously don't recommend doing this, but I had a dorm that was partially being paid for from student help. And then I also had an apartment. So I basically had two places I was living at the same time. One place I would hang out with my school friends and get my work done. And the other place I would hang out to chill and, you know, have fun and stuff. And and those are my fun friends. So looking back at that and like, if you just, took the raw numbers from that and threw it in a compound interest calculator. I haven't done it yet. I probably would probably want to rip my hair out if I saw. Mm. And that was really dumb. And I would obviously recommend not doing that. I don't know why I did it. I guess, you know, back then, I never saw like a dollar today as what it could be tomorrow. I just Mm -hmm. always looked at it as a dollar today is a dollar today. And I have Mm -hmm. more dollars today than I had yesterday. So I I can afford to spend more. So I'm going to spend more. And that's basically what I did. Yeah. When I was in college, I got my first credit card. And I believe I was a junior in college. So I was 20. And I got my first credit card. And I kind of went to town with it because I thought it was free money. And I think they gave me a $2,000 limit. I don't know why. I had a part-time job at the time. And, you know, it was all dumb stuff too. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't like I went out and bought furniture or a big screen TV or anything. It was, you know, buying pizza for me and my friends, buying flowers for a girl that I liked, you know, buying presents for my family for Christmas and all this stuff. I got it to the, I went over the limit. So I I think I ended up spending almost $3,000 on the card in a month. And when I got the first bill, I remember opening the, it was kind of thick and I was like, why is it so thick? And then I opened it and it just fell to the floor unfolding of all the charges on there. Cause <laughs> no it wasn't, yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. And so I had a moment of shock and then I had a moment of, you know, anger. And then I had a moment of fear 
And then I remember calling my parents and my dad actually laughed. He thought it was pretty comical and he didn't bail me out. So he did me a big favor. He didn't bail me out. And so then I had to call the credit card agency and have them put a hold on my account. And then it took me almost two years to pay it off. So I had to pay it off through my side job, which was cleaning houses. I would go to people's houses and clean them, you know, mop the floors, vacuum, dust, all that kind of stuff, you know, and that was at like, I don't know, seven bucks an hour back then. So it took me a while to earn enough money to be able to pay it back. But I did eventually. And then I ended up closing the card. But yeah, that was like my first real big, like, I don't know what this is. You know, I could just spend the money. It's free money, right? <laughs> didn't realize what how it actually worked that I'm gonna have to pay interest on this and it's due when it comes due at the end of the month. I'm still laughing about a paper statement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it being yeah. like like that visualization. Yeah. Well, you know, this was in nineteen eighty four, so it would have been way before the internet. But what would you have told twenty year old Dave? If, if I got the card? stopped him. Yeah, like maybe yeah. you you got him and he was like two hundred dollars in only or something. Right. Yeah. I, I would have told him what I would tell my daughter is it's great that you got the card, but only use it for things you already have the cash for and then pay it off. So if you're going to buy gas, if you're going to buy groceries, if you're maybe going to go out to eat with your friends, it's okay to use the card. But as soon as it comes, you know, when the the next week comes, go online and pay it. Be done with it. Just, you know, already have the money in your checking account to, to pay for it. You're just choosing to use the card instead of the cash. So you're not out the money. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. So what about it in particular is is so dangerous because I think it's interesting in your case that it sounded like it was like death by a thousand cuts. Yes, it was. And, you know, it doesn't seem even the, the interest, you know, if it's, I don't know, 2025 APR, mm-hmm. but you're talking about a hundred bucks and it's amortized over a year. It's the interest charge probably isn't that much. And then mm-hmm. the payment's not much. So it, it kind of slips and it doesn't seem like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Why is it? Why is it? Because if you look at, let's say that you have a $2,000 limit and you max it out to that $2,000 limit, you're getting charged that interest rate and you pay, if you pay the minimum payment, let's say it's $50. $10 goes to paying the principal of the $2,000 back. The $40 goes to the interest that you owe on that $2,000. And so you only reduce that balance by maybe $4. And so if you, credit card statements will do this. They'll tell you, they'll show you how long, if you pay the minimum payment at this balance, how long it'll take you to pay it off and how much it'll end up owing you. So that $2,000 may not sound like a lot, but if you take seven years to pay it, that couldn't end up costing you $5,000 in total between the $2,000 in principle, the $3,000 in interest that you owe. And because, and if you're making those minimum payments, it just, it's so little eats away at the principle that that's why it's so deadly. And that's why it can really get, get you in a lot of trouble really fast. Yeah, that's, I mean, when you think of it that way, it's like I'm putting this $50 bill in mm-hmm. and five of it's going to what I spent yesterday. And right. 40, the 45 is going to the bank. Right. Ouch. Yep, exactly. When I was at the bank, I would tell people all the time when they would, like, especially young people, when they got a card, when they would get approved for a credit card, this is not 
free money. Do not go out and buy the latest Xbox and then end up spending $4,000 more for the Xbox than you would have. Because that's what's going to happen if you max out the card and then you make minimum payments. That's what's going to end up happening. That's tough because they know how to they know how to do it where that two hundred or four hundred dollar Xbox only ends up being like a ten dollar or fifteen dollar payment. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. what do I care if nine dollars is going to the bank and in interest and one dollar is only going right. to me? But right. like your example showed, that mentality is so easy to just perpetuate, mm-hmm. perpetuate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why stop when it's just a dollar here, a dollar there? Right, exactly. Well, and the thing that I, the thing that it took me a little over two years to pay that back, and most people out there are probably oh, okay, big deals too. But that's three thousand dollars plus that I couldn't spend on things I wanted to spend. Now I owed it to somebody else, and I had to work yeah. that hard basically for them. I wasn't working for me; I was working for them. And that's where the danger of like having a credit card and maxing it out can be. Is now you're not just working for yourself. Now you're working for another person to pay them back more than double a lot of times the money that you already used for whatever it is, whether it's a vacation or buy groceries, you're still, or gas or something like that. It's still, you're still paying, you're still working that much harder for somebody else longer. And that's the danger of them. Yeah. And that's what happened with my student loan. I finally like made it big. I put that in quotes because my work (laughs) history has been a little volatile. When I finally made it big in engineering, and all my coworkers are buying nice things and buying homes and buying cars. I was paying off my student loan partially because of a stupid mistake I made when I was a second year and I thought it'd be funny if I had two apartments at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's laughing now, bud? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what are some practical ways that, you know, let's say you are somebody who's very self-aware for a young age and you want to avoid the dumb mistakes Andrew and Dave made. Or maybe you know somebody who you care about and you don't want them to make the same mistakes that a lot of us have made. What kinds of things can people look at to start to educate themselves on things like this and avoid money mistakes? Oh, well, I think, you know, listening to what we're talking about or other interviews that we've had where people have talked about mistakes that they've made in the past, trying to learn from those. And I think really trying to get a better handle on what the financial products you're trying to use are. Credit cards in and of themselves are not bad. It's the way that we use them is where they can be dangerous. You know, to show the exact opposite of what I'm talking about, my brother-in-law is very financially, fiscally conservative, very put together, very, you know, very orderly. And the way he does it is he has an American Express card that he puts all of their bills on, including all their daily spending, like groceries and things like that. So he and my sister, I have a joint card and they pay all that, but he budgets it very tightly. And so at the end of the month, he pays it all off at the end of the month. So it doesn't carry a balance. And what that does is it allows him to build up credit. It also allows him to build up credit because he's reduced. He's used the card when it's reporting to the credit agencies. It shows a balance of near zero. And so that helps boost his credit score. But then he's also getting all those rewards, all those points and then he can use those, they can use those for trips, you know, for airfare or for hotels or, you know, different things that they want to do as a family. And so it's, it's a brilliant idea. And if you're disciplined enough to do it that way, a credit card could be a huge weapon to help you, you know, maximize your financial returns. So in and of itself, they aren't necessarily bad. It's just how we use them and how we aren't taught to use them. 
And so understanding what it is you're getting into when you open a credit card and how are the payments, how does your credit work, understanding what it is when I take out a car loan, what does that mean? You know, what are my responsibilities? How long is this loan for? How much interest am I going to owe over the course of the, like, so how much is the car really going to cost? It, it's not going to cost $30,000. It's going to cost 30000 plus whatever interest the bank is giving you to allow you to drive that car off the lot. How much is that going to overall cost? And then you can try to determine if it's really worth it or not. So anyway, those are some of the ways I guess I would suggest people think about it. What about you? I'll just give a shameless plug because we've been working on a project with a couple of our friends who are also in the finance space. And it's based on this idea of trying to share this important financial literacy lessons that we don't get in in school. And I guess what's tough about it is unless you're somehow stumble into being a finance geek, um, it's it's highly unlikely that you start as soon as a lot of people want to start. I think there are ways that you can help other people that are early on in the journey and give them a hand up. And that's kind of what we were trying to do with one of these products that we just released. So it's called Financial Birds and Bees. You can find it at financialbirdsbees.com. And the idea is information and accountability for somebody. So if I were to buy this for my cousin, my younger cousin... It would give my cousin the information as well as accountability and access to Q&A with Dave and I to be able to figure out how can I get my 401k started? How can I make these other basic, simple, but important financial decisions that can set me up later on in life? So 10 years later, I'm not looking back and being like, man, you cost me this many hours of work and this many hours of stress and just start to try to hopefully build better futures for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think the idea of trying to start from zero, which most of us do, you know, I love my family to death, but they taught me a little to nothing about money or finance. And we just didn't have, you know, quite a bit older. So we didn't have the internet and we didn't have those resources to help learn. Just we're kind of thrown out into the wild and had to learn it on your own. And like I said, when I started working for Wells Fargo, I did never had a 401k before. And so I didn't know what one was and they weren't able to give me any guidance or any information. It was really frustrating. And I think something like this can really help set people on the right path to really start building a financial foundation for their financial freedom. And the sooner, like you said, the sooner you can start, the better. And a lot of us are in a position, I read somewhere the other day that 68% of all working people have access to a 401k of some variety, way, shape, or form, but only 35% of them actually contribute to them, mm-hmm. which is kind of an abysmally low number. And I would hazard to guess that it's probably a lot of it is due to lack of knowledge. They just don't understand what they are and how much they can benefit them. And I think our product that we created, the Financial Birds and Bees, can really help start people on the right path. Yeah. I mean, for me, I was a similar situation as you. My parents taught me like really good basics about money. Like you got to work hard for your money, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But I didn't get any of like the, I don't know if you call it jargon or just, you know, the practical workings because the finance world changes and there's 
all these acronyms and letters and blah, blah, blah. I just wasn't taught that, but I was fortunate that somebody at my job took the initiative, reached out to me and, and got me in the game. And so our hope is that, you know, everybody's busy and it's tough, but we have, we all have people we care about. You can give them this financial birds and bees plan and it could be a great way to get them jump started. And we've created it to be as, as low effort as possible and hopefully get people educated and get them on the right path. So again, it's financialbirdsbees.com. This is not going to be the last time we're going to talk about it, but nope. I recommend checking it out if that interests you. Yep, totally agree. All right. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. If you would, kindly consider giving us a five-star review. It greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials we created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we will go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.